Amen. Thank you, Winter. Great thought, great song. You, you know, whether you realize it or not, you're a sinner. You might be an educated sinner or an unsophisticated one. You might be a sinner sitting behind a desk or somebody digging in a ditch. Jesus came to rescue you. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 482. Page 482. Psalm 139. Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. That means that those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus are commanded to flee from idolatry. That means there shouldn't be anything or anyone in our life that we admire, love, reverence, or worship more than the God of the Bible, the God our Creator, Jehovah God. And we are in the early weeks of a 21-message Sunday morning series that I've entitled, Learn of Him to Flee from Idolatry. Last week, we talked about our Creator being omniscient. Uh, to be omniscient means that God knows everything about everything, past, present, and future. And so to reject a creator that is omniscient is to commit idolatry because God is who he has revealed himself to be. We talked about because God is omniscient, he knows who's really saved, who's really lost. Because God is omniscient, he will one day bring every work with every secret thing into the light of judgment. And we concluded thanking God that if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is omniscient, he knows exactly what we are facing, what we're struggling with, he cares. Paul told the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 8, though there be many that are called gods, there is but one God. And though there is one God, the world into which you and I have been sent today is a world where there are many that are called gods. In case you hadn't noticed, it's a big deal in our world to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and that the God of the Bible is the one true God. And despite all the confusion and multiplicity of gods in our world, our Creator Jehovah has always had faithful witnesses, uh, always witnesses telling people what He's really like and what He's looking for from mankind, whether that witness was Abel or Noah, Abraham or Joseph, Moses or Samuel, Paul or John or Faithful men and women today, God has always had and always will have people who know Him, people who love Him, and people who faithfully accept Him as He is. And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose for the Bible is for God to reveal Himself to man. We can look around at the world in which we live and the complexity of creation, particularly the biological world, bears witness to the fact that there is a great creator. But we can't look at our world and know what God is like. If we want to know what God is like, we must look in the Bible. It's where he's revealed himself to us. And so, because there are so many beings, people claim to be God, and because of humanity's prideful tendency to create a God they like, I want to spend a few months of Sunday mornings talking about who God has revealed Himself to be. I want us to learn of Him so we can flee from idolatry. The chief of the 66 gods of the Norse pantheon was an individual named Odin. 
According to Norse mythology, Odin sacrificed one of his eyes at the well of Mimir to gain more knowledge and discernment. For those of us who watch Marvel movies, uh, we have seen Odin portrayed by Anthony Hopkins, whose son Thor is the focus of several Marvel movies. And in the Marvel movies, just like in Viking mythology, both Thor and Loki go places without Odin knowing where they're going and without Odin being there with him. And just like the head of the Greek pantheon, Zeus, the head of the Norse pantheon, Odin, are false gods. Odin is not omnipotent. Odin is not omniscient. Odin is not omnipresent. And in contrast to the false god Odin, who doesn't know everything and can't be everywhere, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is omnipresent. If you are able to stand today, if you would stand, please, in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is, wherever you're going, God is already there. Wherever you are going, God is already there. Psalm 139, notice the title says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Remember, the titles are part of the Hebrew text that is not a part of a study Bible. And notice what David here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, beginning in verse 5. He says, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Thank you, might be seated. We're told in the title of this psalm that David was the human pen in God's hand for this inspired song, and the word psalm just means song. I'm told that 75 of the 150 psalms are attributed to David, 73 of them are attributed to him in the title of the song, and two are attributed to him in the New Testament quoting a psalm and linking it with David. It's interesting that like all the other inspired songs of the Bible, this psalm is not characterized by repetition, like so many songs today. The Holy Spirit here through David is describing the basic attributes of the true and living God. God is omnipresent. And though God is present in heaven in a special way, God is also present everywhere at the same time, all the time. Notice as we begin, David knew that God was in front of him and behind him and had his hand on David's life. Verses 5 and 6, thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Listen, no one could hide in David's path to attack him. No one could sneak up behind him to hurt him without God's permission. And knowing that God had surrounded him and was everywhere before and behind him, David describes that knowledge as being wonderful 
and being high. See, because God is omnipresent, he can be both in front of and behind David at the same time, and knowing that, uh, that his life was in God's hand, that, that was a wonderful thing for David to know. And, and by the way, the same thing is true of us today. It's wonderful to know that wherever we go forward or whatever is behind us, listen, God is there. Now, if David wanted to hide from God, there was no place David could flee from the presence of God's Spirit. In verse 7, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Notice he uses two illustrations. If I ascend up into heaven, in verse 8, thou art there, heaven is up. God is there, God is omnipresent. Notice he says, if I, in the last half of verse 8, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And this is either hyperbole as David describes uh, God's omnipresence or just simply stating the fact that God is omnipresent. He's even in hell, but those in hell understand they have no benefit and no blessing whatsoever from God being there. God is omnipresent. By the way, if hell is your future, I hope you'll repent. If heaven is in your future, I hope you'll rejoice. It's a great future. Uh, notice also there was no place either in the sea or place touched by the rising light of the sun where God was not present. In verses 9 and 10, he says, if I take the wings of the morning, that's how the light travels across the globe as God uh, rotates our planet and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall Hold me. Uh, David illustrates God's omnipresence by using the vastness of the sea and saying that God is everywhere there. He illustrates God's omnipresence with the light of the sun as the uh, earth rotates, just covering the entire face of the world as our planet rotates around. Uh, David is sure that God would lead him and hold him safe regardless of where he was, because God was everywhere on the earth at the same time from the corner of the sea to the entire surface of our planet. By the way, I hope you live in appreciation of that. God isn't just in the church. God isn't just in the Bible. He is everywhere. Notice David then goes on to say there's no overcast day, moonless night or dark cave where God was not present and watching in verses 11 and 12. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. A lot of people act as if what they do at night or in a dimly lit room or bar is somehow less visible to our Creator. I hope you've never been there, but if you were saved when you were older or you spent some time as a prodigal, one of the things you know is they don't have any well-lit bars. That's on purpose. There is a kind of aspect of the human psyche that thinks that because the light is dim that they somehow are not being seen. Listen, God doesn't need sunlight or electricity to be able to see perfectly in the darkness. He is everywhere at the same time 
and he knows everything about what's going on. By the way, we need to learn to trust because he's omnipresent. No one succeeds in hiding from God because he's everywhere. Now, some succeed in hiding from the Lord's church. Some succeed in hiding from the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Some succeed in hiding from faithful, godly uh, people that are in their life. You can't hide from them. They can't be everywhere at the same time. But understand, you cannot hide from God. Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves, quote, from the presence of the Lord among the trees of Eden. But God knew where Adam and Eve were, and he sought them. No one can get away from God. God is omnipresent. Jonah is described as fleeing, quote, from the presence of the Lord as he headed to Tarshish in Jonah 1.3. But understand this, God was in the ship that he boarded. God was in the storm that came when he was in the ship. God was in the fish's belly. God was there when the fish spit him out on the shore of the sea. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. The prodigal son thought he could get away from the faithful father in a far country in Luke chapter 15, but understand the spirit of his father was everywhere he went, and so in the pig pen, he come to recognize that he would have been way better off to stay home with his father and that there was an open door for him to go home. Over the years, I've seen a lot of people leave the church to try to get away from the truths of God that they didn't like or they did not want to obey. I've seen people get away from godly family members and faithful friends because they didn't like the example they set that convicted them. And though it is true, people can get away from the Lord's dear church and they can get away from faithful godly friends and they can get away from preachers and deacons and godly people of all sorts. No one can get away from God. God is omnipresent. And when anyone makes God smaller than being omnipresent, they commit adultery. Adultery, I mean idolatry. They somehow think they are hidden when they're out with friends on Friday night. They somehow think they're hidden when it's just them and their computer and phone home alone. They somehow think they're hidden when they change who they seem to be here to be something else on vacation or in a school or the workplace. Can I just say, hey, listen, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent and He knows. He isn't just in the church building. He isn't just around when other believers are watching. He's everywhere. I'm told the most remote inhabited place on earth is the island Tristan da Cunha in the South Atlantic. It is a 38-square-mile island. It's 1,750 miles from South Africa, and it has 250 inhabitants in its main town. There is no airport. You can only get to that island and that town by by boarding a fishing boat or polar research vessel that happens to be stopping in that island and the boat ride takes three weeks. If you can find one going there. Listen, God is present on the island of Tristan da Cunha. And those 250 residents cannot hide from God. And so what I'd like to do this morning for a few moments is just make some applications and 
observations about the omnipresence of God. Please first turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. God is omnipresent. Here's number one. Because God is everywhere at the same time, unsaved people have good reason to fear God. Because God is everywhere at the same time, unsaved people have good reason to fear God. And what I think to be the most difficult and terrifying moment from the Garden of Eden to eternity we read in Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne, him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books, those things, yeah. and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Uh, by the way, that's what man thinks he's always wanted. God judged me according to my works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. By the way, when anybody is judged according to their works, you will learn a couple things. The first thing you will learn is that no good work washes away sins. The second thing you'll learn is that no good work is ever truly good. That every good work we do is tainted in some way by our selfishness, our pride, and our desire for the applause of men. That's why when they're judged according to their works, the next thing is going to happen in verse 14 and 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Their works were insufficient. Listen, anyone who tries to tell people they have no good reason to fear God are talking about a God other than the God of the Bible. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 28, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, according to Jesus, there is good reason if you're here and you do not yet know the Lord, there's a good reason for you to have a healthy fear of God. In that day, we read in verse 11, even the heaven and the earth will attempt to flee, but there will be no place to hide from the omnipresent God, the creator of the universe. In that day, I'm sure the lost will want to flee and hide but none of their excuses for rejecting the Son of God will matter. No attempt to get away will ever succeed. And sadly, according to verse 15, in what I think to be the most terrifying moment of the Bible, anybody who's not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Our children often play the game of hide and seek. We played it when I was a kid. When our kids were growing up, we played hide-and-seek. When our grandkids were over this week, we played hide-and-seek. Uh, you may disagree with this, but to me, uh, if you ever find a place to hide where no one can find you, it takes the fun out of the game. Uh, I mean, who wants to just sit there? 
You know, you might, but to me, part of the fun is somebody finding me and getting away anyway. Well, listen, it is possible in the game of hide and seek to find some place where you can hide and not be found. But understand, when it comes to your relationship with your Creator, if you're lost, there's no place to hide. No one successfully hides or flees from God. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not sure of your salvation, why would you try to hide? Why would you try to hide behind a prayer you said years ago that you know left your heart unchanged? Why would you try to hide behind some church you were a membership of, even if it was a Baptist church? Why would you try to hide behind some religious ceremony? Why would you try to hide behind any good work whatsoever? Understand that there is no hiding from the omnipresent God. If you've not yet humbled yourself to receive Christ, to trust Him for forgiveness, why would you let some excuse leave you as lost as you came in this morning? Hear the warning of the Lord Jesus when He spoke to a good man like Nicodemus, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That's John 3, 7. Hear the warning of Paul to the superstitious Athenians when he says in Acts 17, 30, uh, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Come to Jesus this morning. Don't try to flee from His Spirit. Yield to His call to your heart and life to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the promise of the loving Savior. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear the Savior say this, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Hear the warning of John the Baptist, the prophet that began the New Testament and the Gospel. He said, flee from the wrath to come. This morning have you ran to the Savior? Have you sought Him for forgiveness and mercy? There's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely save you and forgive you if you come to Him. Why wouldn't you choose to stop running? Why wouldn't you choose to stop attempting to hide and humbly turn to Christ? I'm told that at more than 1,000 miles from civilization in all directions is a place called Point Nemo. It is considered to be the most remote location on planet Earth. It is named after the famous submarine sailor from Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. In 1992, an engineer located this point in the ocean farthest from any point of land. It is the greatest point equidistant from any three land in fact, no human being may have ever even been at this point. The closest human being to this point is living in the space station that flies about 250 miles above this point. This point is the point that America and other nations who have space trash that they want to crash land on, this, on, on the planet and leave as little of debris that makes it to land. That's Point Nemo. It, in fact, the ocean floor underneath Point Nemo. It's kind of like uh, a spacecraft museum of sorts because everybody sends their space junk there to keep the debris from land. God is at Point Nemo <laughs> because God is omnipresent. 
But it's not just this morning that unsaved people have good reason to fear God because He is everywhere and there is no place that you can hide. Next, please, secondly, go in your Bible to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Because God is omnipresent, you cannot hide from Him if you're not yet saved. (laughs) You cannot hide from Him. And you have good reason to fear Him. Secondly, in Psalm 63, here's number two, because God is everywhere at the same time, true believers can find Him wherever they go. Because God is everywhere at the same time, He's omnipresent, true believers in Jesus can find Him wherever they go. Notice in Psalm 63, it begins a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So this is the same human pen in God's hands. Notice we're given the location from which he writes it. He's hiding in the wilderness of Judah from King Saul uh, who wanted to kill him. In verse 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Remember, he's fleeing for his life. He's in the wilderness. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. See, no one can hide from God. So save people who know and love God. They don't want to hide. Listen, David was hiding from Saul, but he didn't want to hide from God. He sought God. He thirsted for God. He early in the morning sought God. He wanted God to get glory. He wanted God's power manifested. He wanted God to be praised from the wilderness. In fact, David thirsted for God just like a desert thirsts for water. Uh, his David thirsted for God just like a deer panteth after the water brooks. So David's heart and soul thirsted for God. He understood because he knew God well. He knew that in God's presence was the fullness of joy. He knew that in God's presence was perfect peace. Now, there are a lot of different types of saved people. By the way, you get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved. There are a lot of ways that saved people live their life and sometimes vainly attempt to flee from God. The first group to attempting a to flee from God are, are saved people like the prodigal son who want to live their life their way instead of the way God taught them to live. They want to indulge your flesh. They want to be involved in the baser things of life. And every person who does that, ultimately you'll end up in the pig pen of life. Willful defiance of the basic laws of God will never work out well for you. There's a second group of saved people attempting to flee from God, and they're like Jonah. They know God's will for their life, but they don't want to do it. They don't want to live in the pig pen. They don't want to live in willful uh, defiance and immorality. They just don't want to do what God wants them to do. And understand this second group trying to flee and hide from God, uh, they don't end up in the pig pen in life. They end up in the belly of some difficult circumstance as God attempts to get their attention. 
There's a third group of saved people trying to run and hide from God. And like in the parable Jesus told, the one servant who thought his Lord was unreasonable and austere, uh, and he hid the Lord's plan for his life, uh, they're hiding because they don't know the Lord well. They're hiding because in their own mind to be a faithful follower of Jesus, in their own mind to live a righteous and holy life is something that would be not good. Hey, listen, if Christ is in your life and you don't know him well enough to understand that anything he planned for your life and mine is good for us, I would to God you'd know him. You wouldn't hide then. See, when you know the Lord well, you, you know, you understand that righteousness and holiness and faithfulness, they're for our good. When you know the Lord well, you understand that the kindness, meek spirit, and humility he seeks don't make us a doormat. They adorn the gospel of Christ. You see, if you're a believer in Christ today and you're in one of these groups who are attempting to hide I plead with you in Christ's stead, flee to Christ this morning. We give an invitation, come to him. Listen, he is a gentle and forgiving and gracious Savior. But believers who know the Lord well and desire to know his will, they don't flee from him. They seek him everywhere. Just like David in the wilderness Everything seemed so bleak from the human perspective. There was an army pursuing his life. There was a king who sought to kill him. Everything from a human perspective, he's in the wilderness. He doesn't have enough food. He doesn't have enough drink. He's got people looking to him for whom he's responsible. Everything from a human perspective seemed bad. But in those circumstances, because David knew God, he sought him. He sought him early. See, when we know and understand the gentle Savior, the Savior who loves us, the Savior who's kind and long-suffering to His own, we thirst for Him. Like the early church, who joyfully assembled every day in that first revival after Pentecost. Like the woman Anna, who never departed out of the temple and because of that was able to see the infant Jesus. Like James, a half-brother of Jesus and second pastor of the church in Jerusalem who is rumored to have had skin on his knees so thick they described it like the skin of a camel because he so often was praying on his knees like John the Apostle who on his last night with Christ leaned on his chest and on his last days in his 90s when he was exiled to the island of Patmos who on the Lord's day sought the face of Jesus. That's what someone who, who is saved and they know God. Like David in the wilderness, you don't run from God, you run to God. And the good news is, no matter where you are, He is. Are you a disciple who avoids God as much as possible? Are you a disciple who seeks to know Christ, serve Him, and to be with Him as much as possible? Do you seek God early today? was your first prayer when we bowed our heads earlier today? was the first scripture you read today when I read Psalm 139? Listen, if we're not careful, our desire for Christ will fade into duty. 
And if we're not careful, our duty will fade into display. And instead of being motivated out of a heart that is passionate, like Winter sang about for the Lord who died for unworthy sinners, instead of being passionate for Him, what we'll do instead, we'll serve out of display because of what people see. And I don't want my desire to turn into duty, and I don't want my duty to turn into display. I want to catch myself before I get to that point and set my heart back on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just that because God is omnipresent, believers can find Him wherever we are and seek Him. Lastly, this morning, go back a few pages to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Because God is everywhere at the same time, those who are not saved have good reason to fear. Because God is everywhere at the same time, true believers in Jesus can find Him wherever they are. And lastly this morning, number three, there are some great benefits to believers who understand that God is omnipresent. There are great benefits to those of us who understand that. Psalm 16, mictum of David. Now that word mictum, uh, some say it means prayer or meditation. Others feel like it's a musical uh, instruction. And by the way, because it doesn't give us any information, the content of the psalm matters more than the title of the psalm. So what is the content? Notice in verse 11. It says, Thou wilt shew me the path of life. Wouldn't you like to see that? How do you live? while you're alive. Hey, listen, everybody in here, as far as I know, is alive. Not everybody in here is living. I want to live while I'm alive. How do I find the path of life? In Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> Though God is always present in every place, there are places where His presence is manifested in a special way. God is omnipresent, but His presence is manifested in a special way today in heaven. And those who are there with Him are benefited in a special way because they are with God as He sits on His throne in the city of God. God is omnipresent but, omnipresent, but His presence is specially manifested in the heart of each believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. Because when we called upon Christ, the Spirit of God came in us and it made our body the temple of God. It's a special place. God is omnipresent, but His presence is specially manifested in His church. When His people assembly together in Christ's name and when we find and fulfill the purpose for which He made us and the, use the gifts that He gives us, when we come together here as a body of Christ, listen, there's a special blessing and a special joy and a special pleasure. God is everywhere at the same time, but He is in some places in a special way. And wherever that is, there's fullness of joy and pleasure. And that can be wherever we are. Now because you and I live by faith and not sight or feelings, we don't decide 
whether God is absent or present because of how we feel. We know that God is everywhere at all times and he's with every true believer everywhere we go. But because God is omnipresent, hearing when I say we can pray and talk to God and find his joy, his pleasure, and his presence anywhere we are. If you've ever been away from the church and you need to talk to God, it's great to have an omnipresent God. If you've ever been on vacation and had trouble on vacation, it's great to have an omnipresent God. I remember a few years ago, uh, I don't see her here, she's probably in nursery. Uh, oh no, she's back in children's church. Delaney uh, was watching our house and um, a squirrel chewed through our power cable, causing the power in our house to flicker, which while we're gone, I'm on vacation, and poor little Delaney, a little good teenager, is watching our house, set the air conditioner on fire, burned out the pump in our pond, burned out the pumps in our aquarium, ruined the furnace, ruined the refrigerator, ruined the stove, ruined our microwave, ruined the garage door opener. Hey, Delaney, how's everything going? Well, (laughs) I'm glad that the presence of God is anywhere and everywhere because God is omnipresent. If you've ever been deceived by your own lonely or anxious feelings, I'm glad that God is omnipresent. I'm glad that whether I am on a rocky mountain walking on a road in Nicaragua where everybody walking by me has a machete. I'm glad God is there. I'm glad that when I'm in a canoe on a still small lake in northern Michigan or in Canada, I'm glad God is there. I'm glad whether I'm in a hospital getting bad news or at a funeral home and the casket is open, I'm glad that God is omnipresent. Thank God for the church where His special presence is. Thank God for the Bible that reveals who He is. Thank God for all those places. But He's everywhere. If you belong to Him, you can always find Him. I love the altar of an old-fashioned Bible preaching church. I love it. But I'm glad the altar is not the only place I can find and meet God. The story told about a little boy. He was being tucked in by his dad, and as his dad was tucking him in after praying, they looked out the window at the clear night sky, and the dad was beginning to leave, and the boy said, Dad is God in the moon. And the dad said, God is everywhere. The little boy's attention then changed to the stars that were filling the clear night sky, and he asked his dad if God was in the stars. Dad said, of course. God is everywhere. As only a little child might do, he asked his dad then if God was in his belly. The dad at this time was beginning to wonder if his son was asking honest questions or just stalling. But because he didn't know, he gave him a serious answer and he just said, yes, like I said before, God is everywhere. But just like the dad feared, the little boy then smiled and he said, I think God wants a cookie. 
Now, I don't think we're giving God a cookie when we eat one. I've given God a lot of cookies. I do know that the one true God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time, all the time. And if you're here and you're not yet saved, I can't think of a better day to stop trying to flee from the Savior who is everywhere at the same time. If you're here and you are saved, today is a good day to get our attitude right toward the Savior. To stop trying to hide and instead flee to Him. You see, from wherever you and I find ourselves, when we flee to God, we will find that He's already there. Because God is omnipresent. You quietly stand and